Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. December 11th, 2020, episode number 164. And guess what, Carter? What? It's not you this week. <laughs> Thank God, dude. <laughs> I'm still sweating. I'm still sweating from last week's interview. From last week? Yeah. Hey, how, did you get any? Did you get any response? Did you get any dude, feedback from that one? I got a ton of feedback, which I definitely did not expect. I thought like four people would listen and be like, hey, "This guy's not flat track." I did. It was really cool, actually. Um, and uh, you know, I've been out to the track uh, last Saturday and Sunday. I got to see some flat track racing and uh, and riding around. Where, hold on. Where, where at? You gotta tell us where at. You know, not everybody knows where you were. You're right. Um, so I went down to Ocala on Saturday. Um, and man, I'm telling right. you, it's not supposed to be this cold in Florida, and it's pretty damn cold. Um, but it like, was like it was, 50. No, dude, it was like freezing temperatures, like 40. No. Below. Yes, it was like 30 some when we uh, when we started the past two days. But anyways, uh, it got pretty cold there on Saturday. I hung out as long as I could. It went pretty late. It was the SDT Southern SDTA. Dirt. Yeah, SDTA. They were running a race down there. Uh, Jesse Janish was down there. So was uh, Corey Texter, obviously was there. That's why I rolled down there to help him get some content from there. And uh, Blake Lomas uh, was there. Uh, and 75. Uh, yep. Um, Billy Ross. And there were some other uh, other people there. Damn it. I don't know what they were called, dude. Those little tiny motorcycles. Peewees? Nah, they weren't peewees. They were like adults, grown-ass adults on oh, these Matt, things. Oh, Matt. Mad dogs, yeah, Those but the, mad dog minis, yeah, dude. There was like a there was a race team there called De- Deaf Duck Racing. They rolled deep, man. There were like <laughs> twenty people on these little things, and I was like, you know, if I learned to ride a motorcycle, that's what I want to learn go. to ride. See, those things. Gram, Graham said, Graham said, it's time for you to race. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. So I, it's crazy since like so in the past week since we've been talking about me like getting serious and making it a goal in 2021. I've had at least four people reach out to me to tell me. I'm the one that's going to teach you how to ride a motorcycle. So I might have a, a couple different things uh, going on in 2021, but all will involve me riding a motorcycle. So stoked on that. Good. But uh, but yeah, I hung out as long as I could. It kind of went late into the night on Saturday. I had a podcast. I don't know if you saw, but we got The Gunslinger on TSP last week. I had to get home and edit that. Or Jay Springsteen. Dude. He's epic, dude. Who who doesn't love Jay Springsteen? So, I, I, on that note, he kind of gets overlooked when people say who's the greatest flat tracker ever. Kind of gets dude. overlooked, yeah. I mean, dude, he he won forty three Grand Nationals and he won his forty third when he was forty three years old. Not just that, but like, you know, everybody said, oh, it's most race wins and everything. Like this guy didn't race as much as as all the people that you're looking at those numbers. And when he did race, like what, right out of the gate. He won his, his, right. his the first season. Who does that as a rookie right. year? And I mean, just you talk to anybody that knows anything about this sport, they'll all say the, the most naturally gifted motorcycle rider they've ever seen. Uh, and it, Springer, 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 yeah, hundred percent. And and he even talking to him, and he didn't even think about it. He didn't even try. He went out there and just held it wide open and held on every time, and that was yep. his goal. Yep. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was super cool to hear him uh, talk about you know the days past and what he's doing these days. And like I said, who doesn't love Springer? It's, it's one thing they mentioned on the, on the pod, which was really interesting. Is you know in any sport, you look at an athlete and you have people who love him, and you have people that hate him. But not Springer. Everybody loves that dude, right? Like, where do you see right, that? Where right. do you see that? 
Um, so it's super cool. Cool to talk to him. And we got that done uh, and edited. I think that actually published just yesterday or the day before. Um, so go check that one out. That's a good one. Uh, we've got a legend on this week's podcast. We'll get we'll get into that here in a second. On Sunday, we went to uh, Callahan where the Winter Throwdown 3, Volume 3, is going down. And uh, just shot some content there with, with Corey and Steve, his buddy who's, you know, promoting that race with it's cool to get out there in an empty track dude i've never had access to like an empty track and a, and a rider it's different right you can hear you can hear them when they shut off the throttle yep. i know we put in some laps but you can hear when they you, know, you hear the brakes chatter you can hear the back tire when it yep. when it's hooking up i mean the sounds are different with just one person yeah it's uh well not only that but like shooting and like you're, you go to a national you don't have time to like get in there and find the best angles and i'm not somebody i'm not a shooter i still don't consider myself a shooter but uh, Steve has the guy that he's doing the race with had a nice ass Sony with a, like a $2,500 lens. So I've never had like nice. a camera with like a sick ass setup like that. So I was able to like play photographer for real instead of like my little Canon that I have. So like, it was super cool. Like just to find where those shots are, you know, coming into the corner, you know, getting off the break. Um, and just like inside the track, outside the track, like, and Corey was right. just doing some cool stuff. So I don't know. It was really cool for me. I was geeking out from a content perspective because I don't usually get that access and have, have the ability to get that close to do that kind of stuff. So, uh, I was kind of geeking out in that sense, but I mean, it was just one guy on a track doing that stuff. We, we shot some stuff for promos for, for throwdown, talk to the, the track owner out there. They had a cool little, uh, RC race going on in the in the smaller track behind it, which was really cool to see too. I know Andy Debrino's right. into that stuff, and he was talking about it a little when we had him on a long time ago. Um, but to see like that high level of competitiveness on the it's almost like a pro series there for RC racing. Oh, they, they take it serious, and they don't go slow oh, yeah. either, dude. They some of those oh, jumps yeah. they do jumps, and it was insane. They'll yep. take your head off if you if you get in, yep. in the way of those yep. things. Um, but that was super cool. Uh, he had the whole family down, so Amber and Cruz were, were out as well. Cruz was loving it out there watching the cars, and he took his little strider around the track, too. It was funny. But, yeah, so that was cool over the weekend. And then uh, anybody that follows us on social media knows uh, I was out in uh, Volusia for the past two days for this uh, this tire test. So that was super cool. Won't get into those details too much because I think we're going to make an episode of it next week um, with a special guest or two or three regarding that, just to kind of give uh, everybody a download of what happened there, the takeaways and uh, kind of the, the consensus. I don't know if they're going to have any data that, that they've analyzed and have a, an update on, but I, I, I think I locked in some time with uh, one of the guys from Dunlop. Um, maybe two of the surprise people that nobody knows about that uh, maybe didn't see pictures of, but maybe will before next week. Right. I don't know. We lock that in. All right. Either way, it's All just right. good to talk about it, man. And I just miss being at the track. So I got to hang out at Volusia say, and see that. That's what I was going to say. You got to go to the racetrack uh, where we had two nationals at earlier in the year. So it's cool to, to go back there. Uh, a super fast half mile is one of my favorite half miles when I was racing, actually. And it's still... Uh, one of my favorites to go to yeah yeah and there's some cool stuff that aft talked about that uh that i don't think i could say right now this week but next week we'll be able to let it fly and let everybody know so um look forward to that next week one announcement that was put out while you're at the uh, the, the racetrack out there uh sacramento mile yeah double header yep. may 7th and 8th 2021 so uh that's good to have another racetrack you know that's already four nationals we know of doubleheader springfield doubleheader sack miles uh that's good to hear that means at least four miles on the schedule for 2021 yeah and i can tell you this i'm not giving anything away really that that they 
they probably won't be looking at everything being a doubleheader like it was in 2020, but there will be doubleheaders out there. So um, we'll see we'll see what what happens when they finalize that schedule. They they threw a couple tentative things out there. Um, maybe I can tease some next week. I haven't gotten approval to do it yet, but uh, I'll I'll let you guys know as soon as I can let that fly. Um, and none of it was really locked in, so I don't want to go. You know how we talk about the rules and everything. They they even talked about the rules right. with the riders there. Um, but again, all that's like not in stone, and I don't like throwing stuff out there until we know it's in stone and. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely let you guys know once we know more. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool to see everybody. And then also after the Dunlop tire test, a few other teams had rented the track for Thursday and for Friday. So mm-hmm. we'll get more information on that. Of course, that's going on, you know, kind of as we speak and kind of as this is being you know published. So we'll, we'll get some more information. Uh, last weekend, I actually went to a, a short track race up in indoor up in near Tulsa, Oklahoma with my dad and Stoney. We went up to uh, Creek County is what they call it. And I, I raced there a little bit back when I was coming through the ranks. And it was good to see uh, a lot of familiar faces. I used to race against some were later in my career. Some were the older guys were there, too. Uh, and the, the kid that won that was on the e-racing with us, Caleb Vick. Yeah. You remember him? Yeah, yeah. Really quiet really quiet i yeah. went up introduced myself to him gave him a couple off the groove stickers he won the pro class on friday night and then uh didn't have as good a luck on saturday night actually got tangled up was in an accident had to come from the back and still got fourth or fifth uh but man the racing was good indoor racing there's always some bar banging going on uh some 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 guys go there to make friends some guy go, goes there to have friends and some guys leave with less friends but <laughs> yeah. you know what that's that's indoor short track racing for sure that's good stuff man and so it's, it's good to know he's just not a, a threat on the e-series he's uh he's absolutely uh in real life a yeah. real flat track racer that's pretty cool dude did he uh do you know if he threw those stickers on his bike I didn't see. He had like three or four bikes there. I gave him, I think I had three stickers in my pocket. I gave him all, all three or two of them. But it was pretty cool to, to see him. And I, I stood with his mom. She was recording the races a little bit later on in the night and stuff like that. But it was fun. Uh, I think one of the most ex- inspiring things for me this week was seeing Oliver Brindley stand up. Dude. Dude. Right? Ali. Huge. I, it made, Huge, dude. man. I, I loved it. It's, uh, yeah. the progress is insane. Um, and it chokes me up almost every time talking, talking about it and thinking about it. But, uh, but yeah, man, yep. it's, it's, it's super cool. Every post that I see from him and, uh, about him and just the progress he's making, uh, it's, it's unreal. Uh, and if you guys are looking to send some messages to Ollie, we, we talk about it often, but I always want to throw that number out there when we see some stuff that's, that, that makes a smile. Um, it, it, and it's, he loves, loves getting these messages from you guys. So that number again is three, five, two. 639-2924. Um, that's just for the folks here in the U.S. If you guys have any interest in, in reaching out to Ollie and you're outside the U.S., shoot us a message. We have a, an email as well that you can send it to. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really cool. I I, I don't know what else to say about it. But awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and actually earlier in the week too, Oliver Brindley's cousin uh, sent me some messages on Instagram, and he bought a TDM 850 Yamaha, what? like the one I used to race in the Super Tracker class. And he said it needs some work. And he sent me a few <laughs> pictures, and he's going to keep me updated. And then at the end of the conversations, when he told me he was his cousin, I saw <laughs> the same last name. But uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, he said he said keep watching the progress of Ollie because he's getting better every day. That's fantastic. And so so good to hear. That's awesome, man. We got to make it. We got to figure out how to get a trip over uh, over to England and and go. Go see him before too long. Let's do it. Uh, and one of the people that told me they wanted to 
wanted to teach me how to ride was uh was anthony brown he told me he's like come to the uk and learn. really how, how cool would that be to learn a motorcycle <laughs> in the uk uh i'm all Never for it. it bring it son Never bring it. it i'm in that's right um so you want to get right. into this week's episode because it's a doozy bro yeah i i can't wait actually i cannot wait it's, uh, it's going to be a good one. Chris, Chris Carr had had a little nugget to give to you, so <laughs> well, he, uh, I asked him. I asked him one question. Yeah, yeah, we threw that in there. I was talking to Carr. He's like, "Ask him about this," and I was like, "Oh, okay." So I can't wait to see what he says there, but it'll be good for sure. And I also want to give a shout out to Bert Sumner. He helped me with a few nuggets for this one. We we put the outline together a while back, and uh, he had he had a nugget or two for me to add. So uh, this is a good one. Let's give him a call. Let's do it. Hey, Scott. Scotty Dubla here. How are you? Hey, Scotty. What's up? Not much. I, uh, I, good, good. I've We've had you on our list of people to talk to, and, and a lot of our fans have asked us to reach out to you, so I definitely appreciate the time, and, and I want to get to know the legend himself. I know you as number 14, Hank Scott, so uh, let's dive in deep. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in San Gabriel, California, which is basically a suburb of Los Angeles, probably 20 miles east of What's L.A. It, what was it like growing up out there, Hank? Uh, well, I loved it. I you know, grew up in the 60s, so I, I raced a lot of sportsman scrambles tracks all around Southern California and even Northern California. There was all kinds of racing going on back then. And then uh, it kind of transgressed into semi-pro at uh, Trojan Speedway and Orange County Speedway. And then from one thing led to another, on to Ascot as a novice. And then... It just, it just progressed from there. Wow. So how did you first get involved, or how did you first get a motorcycle, I mean, uh, and, and get into racing? My dad was a desert racer, and he also raced short track, and and I don't have the pictures anymore. My mom, she messed them up, and I don't know where they went. But she had pictures of him racing side-by-side side with Ken Maley. No kidding. Yeah, at, at wow. old tracks way way back in the way back in the early fifties and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. But that's where I got started in. And my dad was a racer, and uh, we actually started out at des- in desert uh, desert racing and stuff. But it moved over to the scrambles tracks and stuff. Okay, and of course we know you got a brother Gary Scott that raced with you. Um, did did he start racing first, or was it kind of both of you guys at the same time? No, Gary was just a little bit ahead of me. Um, not much as far as the scramble track, a little bit, not much, maybe a year. Um, and uh, he started out on a Yamaha 100. I started out on a Honda 50. <laughs> okay, all right. Of course, of course I, sitting on the seat, I could barely touch the ground. So, <laughs> Yeah, I remember those days. Uh, so yeah. do, you remember your, do you remember your first flat track race? Well, my my first short track race would have would would have been when I was probably 15 uh, at Trojan Speedway, where Dave Aldana cut his teeth there, and so did Gary. Okay, what was it like racing with your brother and coming through the ranks with Gary? Gary, like I said, Gary was just a little bit ahead of me. We never really raced against each other until uh, I turned pro and and raced against him. Up until that point, I never really went head to head against Gary. Because um, he was—he's just a little bit older than me, and he'd moved on. I mean, when he was a a, a, a junior, an amateur back then, I was a novice, so he was just a little bit ahead of me, Scotty. 
Okay, so just one class above you most of the time until you guys got both to the to the Grand National Expert ranks. It sounds like. Um, how long How long was your amateur career? It, it sounds like you know. It seems like you've already been talking about pro right off the bat. So did you race amateur very long? I raced uh, sportsman from from ten till I was sixteen, and then from okay. sixteen until I turned eighteen, uh, I ran semi pro making a little money at different racetracks, you know, going to school, I would load up Wednesday when I got out of school from teacher's experience and I go load up, go race my motorcycles at uh, Orange County Speedway. And I could make more money there in one night than I could working at a job. Wow. Wow. Those are the good old days, right? Long time ago. Golly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how hard was it to transition from, from your, your sportsman days up into the, the pro ranks? Was it a hard transition for you? No, uh, I got an offer to run as a novice for Pete Pistone out in California. He's had a number of riders ride for him and he called me and offered me a ride. And the first time I ever rode his bike, uh, a first time I ever went to, Elsinore Speedway, which is a scrambles track on a 250 mm-hmm. Botaco, I won, and it really impressed them. <laughs> yeah, I, I won the expert class, and that really impressed them. So from there, it went to Ascot, and I raced for Pete for a little while, um, and then Gary, uh, who was riding for City Cycle Center back then, and Skip Clark, Gary ordered a Trackmaster Yamaha twin frame for me, and then uh, Skip Clark ordered every piece. You couldn't buy the motors anymore. So he ordered every piece from Yamaha piece by piece to buy that road race motor to put in there. So then I wow. switched to a twin. Okay. Wow. Well, you've mentioned Ascot now a couple of times. I've got to know, what was your first impression the first time you raced that legendary half mile? Well, that would have been on a Pete's bike. And uh, it was it was a little intimidating. Uh, you know, you're, <laughs> there's a lot of traction there and you're going fast down the back straightaway and you're wide open off the corner if you're going to go fast. So, yeah, it took me a little while getting used to it. And you know, Scotty, the, the thing is as a novice running Ascot, I, I only run there uh, probably less, less than a quarter of the times if the races were scheduled because Gary had me go back East with him uh, when he was a rookie expert to help him on the Eastern tour. So I missed a lot of it, uh, and I never won a race, a pro race as a novice. I didn't start winning until I became a junior and jumped on a 750. Wow, wow. Um, so you, you, you say helping Gary out. You mean helping him work on bikes, or you mean helping him drive to the races, or what kind of help were you both, giving your brother? Both. I mean, he asked me if I could go back east with him to help him for the, the last tour, which was – Oh goodness! Back then it would have been he already he'd already been to Louisville and Columbus and did and did good there. Then they come back out to Ascot and then you do the the final tour back east. And I went with him to help him drive because uh, he had okay. nobody with him to help him drive. And that's when he was riding Triumphs for City Cycle Center. So we had two Triumphs in there in a short tractor. So I helped him with that. Oh, cool. So you, you learned a lot, even if you weren't riding, you know, with the big, you know, with the, with the big guns, but you were, you know, helping work on bikes and, and the triumph and stuff like that and got to see those tracks firsthand. I think that helped you in your career. Um, do you remember when and where you made your first grand national main event and earned your national number? 
my first national main event would have been the Houston Astrodome on, on the short track. And that awesome. was in, yeah, that was in, that was in 74. Oh, that is so cool. So you're national number 14 from 1975 until 1988. Uh, I've talked to some, some people to get some, some facts for you or on you. And they said you were always a perennial front runner. You were always in the mix. You're always up there battling for wins. Uh, you had 17 career Grand National wins, uh, 12 miles, four half miles, and one short track. Obviously, the short track was your uh, was a memorable one for you, right? But let's go, let's go uh, a little deeper. Your first three wins were on three different types of track. Your first national win was 1974 at the Syracuse Mile. Um, do you remember that race? Oh yeah, yes I do. Yeah, the <clears throat> the funny thing is, the week before there, there was a a mile that Don Brimer put on. I, I don't know if he called it the gold cup or something like that. And a lot of the, the East coast guys went there and I don't, I, Scott, I can't remember if there was a national that weekend somewhere else. Um, but there was a lot of national guys there and I won that the week before with Chuck Pomegranate. Oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. It pumped me up for the national the following week. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, we'll skip ahead a little bit. Your second grand national win was in 1975 at the Santa Fe short track. A lot of people might not know, but Santa Fe isn't out West. It's just South of Chicago. Tell me about that day. Santa Fe is, uh, when I rode for shelter to it. And, um, that was on the three sixties back then. And the bike that I rode was exactly a duplicate of the one that Shell built for Kenny Roberts in 74 that won there. So the same, the same configuration, same motor combination, same everything, one in 74 under Roberts and then one under me in 75. And I remember that race. Uh, I, I was just on a rail. I had the bike. The bike was just hooked up. And I mean, I could get on it. And I, I, I don't remember where I qualified. I only won my heat race and then got off the third in the main event past Springsteen and Steve Freeman. And then I lapped all the way up to fourth place, which was Gary Scott on, on the back wow. of Harley. Wow. That's, that's impressive. Well, let's move ahead a little bit further. Your third career grand national win was right here where I grew up in 1976 at the Oklahoma city half mile. Do you remember that day? Yes, I do. Yeah. I was on shell Yamaha. The tr it had rained and the, the track had got really spongy. So they bladed it. And it got kind of rough and ruddy, uh, and it was a narrow groove. I probably wouldn't have won that. Uh, I had to come through traffic. And once I got into second, Gary was, a, my brother, was a pretty good little bit in front of me. And somebody broke in turns one and two and dumped oil right on the groove. Oh. And Gary hit it, and, and down he went. Mm. So uh, it didn't bother me. I kind of went, I seen it, and I went around it. So the rest of the race, I went around it. and. Uh, Checked out on the rest of the field and won. Wow. They didn't red flag it when your brother went down? No, he didn't get hurt. He just slid out and then pushed it off to the infield. Okay. Man, probably, bummer for he him. Probably, <laughs> he probably saw I was leading it, so he didn't want to mess that up. Oh, man. That's awesome, I guess. Um, let's talk about 1978. A couple of uh, significant things here, but uh, you won Sacramento. DuCoin and Indy all miles that year. Uh, but what I think was more impressive is at DuCoin, you are recorded as having the first lap averaging over 100 miles per hour. Tell me about that. That had to have been an amazing feeling. 
That yeah, that that day the track was uh, it was kind of damp and it uh, it actually rained. Uh, that's the same day that me and Terry got baptized in the lake down there by <laughs> Jerry Landry during it during the rain delay. So we got baptized down there, and I think all the rain and the overcast helped keep moisture in the racetrack. And uh, I, I I went out and. I used to have the recording of Dave Despain on cassette tape someplace mm. in all my belongings at the house. And you can hear Dave Despain talking about it. And he, when I clicked off the lap, Despain goes, are you sure? Are you really sure? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And that's when he, he come on, that's when he come on the mic and said, ladies and gentlemen, we got the first hundred mile lap in history. Uh that that's so cool. I got I've got goosebumps right now just talking about you and talking about Dave Despain talking about it because obviously it, it was it was history. It was. I mean, for the yeah, that uh, I don't think anybody beat that till I did in at Indy and uh, and I did that in eighty two years later. I did Indy and did a. 30 it was 102 something almost 103 average wow. a daytime indie wow yeah you know the funny thing is talking about that that was done with 38 millimeter round bore macoonies 35 millimeter fork tubes and twin shocks nothing like what we got today wow yeah and and skin, a lot skinnier tires too if i remember right well back in 78 and 79 we we got to run the Goodyear Eagles too. So they were the same tire all the way up through the eighties and up to the nineties, but they didn't come out with a little bit wider rim till later. Okay. All right. That makes sense. What bike were you riding when you set that first lap over a hundred miles per hour? And all of 78 was Carl Patrick stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. Riding for Carl Patrick. Yeah. Nice. Let's move up uh, a couple more years up to 1985 wins this year. I, I would consider it your most successful year, uh, just looking at the stats, but you won Sacramento, San Jose, Louisville, DeCoin, and Topeka, and you finished second in the points by just one point behind some famous guy named Randy Goss. Uh, was yeah. that was that your best season? That was, in 1980, was my best season, yeah. Do you remember coming up one point short? I mean, you guys had to been. You, you, you I remember that night. Yeah, things. yeah. I I remember that night. <clears throat> I I set a track record the night before at Ascot. I went out and went there and just wanted to shake the bike down on the Friday night race. And I went out and set a, a new track record, first guy to get down in the twenty ones. And I wanted to work on Goss's head, so. After they announced it, we loaded, I mean, Jerry, Jerry Branch was with me at that time, which he never goes to the racetracks. Uh -huh. We loaded up and went home and, and we met the girls at, at a Mexican restaurant, and enjoyed the, the evening. Then I went back the next night and set fast time at the national. But <laughs> the, the problem, the problem was the tire that I set fast time was, was the old style Carlisle. And I left it on for the heat race and the track brushed off. And I needed the Goodyear Eagle on the back. And I mean, I barely got into the main event because I was just spinning the tires so much. So I, I had a second row start at Ascot that night and had worked my way up. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember racing Randy for about six or seven laps side by side. And I finally pulled away from him and chased down Eklund. And I only had a couple laps left to get Eklund. And that was second place. And down the, got the white flag, 
And down the back straightaway, I I had the opportunity to run it off in there, but I'd ha- I would have bumped him. And I don't I don't ride that way at Ascot. Uh, maybe on a short track, but not Ascot. You're going too fast. And we come off the corner side by side, and I come up short from the axle nut to the front of the Pirelli tire. Wow, wow, heartbreaker! That lap, but if it had been one more lap. Yeah, if it had been one more yeah. lap, I had him going into one. Oh man, a heartbreaker for sure, but still a, a very solid season. You had to have been proud of that one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was. I wasn't bitter. I mean, a lot of people think I might have been bitter. But I was, I didn't even, Scott, I didn't even have a ride at the beginning of the season. Wow. Wow. I started out in 1980 with, without a ride. So to win five nationals and finish second in the points, and I won the, the halfway challenge thing from Camel Pro, that was 10 grand. Yeah. I, I was grateful. Awesome. Awesome. It's a good way to look at it. Did you typically like to get in people's heads? Uh, like you, you said just a minute ago, you, you were trying to get in his head by, by you know, making a statement with that fastest lap. You know, was that part of your objectives when you were racing, or does that just happen to be that particular night well, you know, going for the championship? I went out and didn't really plan. I mean, I, I didn't plan on going there and doing that. But okay. when I went out and set the new track record and the bike, Jerry Branch helped me build a new motor that week. So when we went there, it was to make sure everything was working good. And then when I set that one track, one lap track record, uh, we got to talk and I says, you know, I says, it'd probably be good if we just save this thing and go home and this will work on Randy's head. Everybody <laughs> told Randy that you're, it's no problem. You're going to beat Hank at Ascot, but I wow. liked Ascot. I'd always done good at Ascot. So mm. I, I was up for it. <laughs> Let's go. Awesome. I love it. I love it. 1981, you had you had three wins in 81. So uh, to follow up with 1980, you're still on a roll. You're still winning races. Yeah, I was leading two other races and, and should have buttoned them up, but blew up. It was back when Harley, their cases, they just weren't making good cases. And the bearings would come loose in the, in the crank, mm-hmm. in the rod, uh, in, where they fit in the, the cases. The, the race would actually come loose. I had a lot of problem with motors and stuff. So I blew up two motors because of that leading and I should have won, but it would, it was going to be a good season. And when I went to Ascot, let Gary ride that bike uh, and I rode his bike, I'd already had fourth place wrapped up in points and I had better equipment than Gary. So I thought, well, I'll be the good brother and and give him my stuff to see if he can get number one. And (laughs) his spit me off. (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. Uh, 1982, uh, you got the career, uh, first and only podium on the Honda NS750. I don't remember actually seeing the NS750 out there very much. Can you tell me a little bit about that bike and, and that ride to put you on the podium at Springfield? Yeah, that's when kid, uh, was, a, I don't know how he broke his leg. I don't know if it was Santa Fe or, or out practicing or something when he was riding for Honda and Jerry Griffin. And I got a call from Jerry Griffin and I just. I had just started getting my act together. I got third at Indy on Skip Eakin's bike on a backup bike uh, of Lance Jones' backup bike. I got third on it. And then I went, uh, the next week was the Hamburg national. And I got a call that week from Jerry and he offered me to that, the NS to ride for the rest of the year. And and then plus uh, a paycheck every week to finish out the season. So I said, heck yeah. I mean, I, I ain't got nothing going on other than riding my own stuff. So I went to Hamburg, never rode the NS before, and got seventh on it the first time in the half-mile national. 
Then the following week was Syracuse. And I just come up short of a third place there on on Moorhead. Me and him, well, I mean, we just raced our butts off, passing each other lap after lap. And the funny thing that I remember about the NS, at that point, I had never rode a bike that handled like that thing. That thing handled so good, I could stay on the gas way into the corner. And that helped me keep up with the Harleys because the NS, it was down on power and a little shy on torque, but I could just ride the wheels off it. It just worked so good. So I wound up fourth there and okay. then went to San Jose the week, the next week and got third with it. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. How come, how come the NS didn't stay for very long? I know you're part of the development of the RS, but was the NS just not fast enough? And that's why the RS came along? Yeah, the, the it was a CX based 500 so there had to be a lot of stuff done to it and the way that the the cam the cam configuration even though it was overhead cam it had a push rod to it and trying i remember jim dewar talking about trying to get the cam configuration worked out and he says it was a nightmare the way they did it so it was really never bred to be a race bike (laughs) and but it, but it worked. I like the way it handled. I mean, if I could ever got my RS to handle like that, I'd have been a happy camper. I, mm. I'll, I'll tell you a little story here. In in eighty in eighty three, when I was hired by them after the Sacramento Mile to ride for them, I rode the NS uh, at Harrington, Delaware, and it was just working really great. And I was. Just I just caught Alex Jorgensen do one and two was going to pass him down the back straightaway, and Scotty that thing had an external flywheel inside of, of the case because mm-hmm. it didn't have any flywheel weight, so they had a big flywheel there, and it was filled with Mallory to to add weight to it, right. and that thing blew up. It oh. blew up down the back straightaway, lifted the gas tank up. And I mean, water and oil and crap went everywhere. <laughs> wow. Wow. I've never heard so that story. I didn't get story. the race that day. <laughs> yeah. That day ended up a little bit short, I guess. Man, yep. I didn't I didn't know any of that stuff. I knew you were hired a couple different times midway through the season to ride for Honda, and I, uh, I didn't quite understand the reasoning for that. But that, you know, some, my kid getting hurt kind of makes sense and stuff like that. Uh, 83 and 84, you win the DeCoin Mile, and in uh, 84 you also was in the indy mile your last career win i guess my, my biggest question is looking at all these wins wh- why and how are you so fast on the miles i was good i i feel that i was good at keeping the wheels in line and keeping it tracking but the coin that when i won the coin it wasn't like that it was tacky and you had to ride the fuzz but uh i was pretty good at throttle control and keeping my wheels underneath me and not burning my tire up. I was I was able to be smooth and get it hooked up, and, and I had more tire than anybody else during in the race. So it, it worked out good for me. Uh, I, I mean, I like to go fast, and I was really good at using the draft and executing. So I think all those things compiled together just made me a good miler. Awesome. I love it. I love the way you described all that. Um, we have a friend of our podcast. His name's Chris Carr. You may have heard of him. I think he's a seven-time champ, you know, but he, he definitely yep. told us to ask about 
his uh, rookie season, 1985 Indy Mile. Uh, <laughs> you guys had a little run in. Do you, can you explain what happened? Yeah, that was, uh, we were kind of the, the, the front guys checked out and, uh, I, me and him was battling and it really, and honestly, I don't know what was fourth or fifth or something like that. I don't, I don't remember, but I, I think it was fifth, but I was tucked in down the back straightaway. And when you're going down the back straight, you got your hand up underneath on the side of your gas tank, tucking mm-hmm. your, tucking your body in as much as you can get out of the wind. And when I was going down into three, I hadn't set up yet to set up and Chris drafted by me so close. He took the handlebar out of my hand. I had, Ooh. so all the only hand that I had on the bar was my right hand. So, wow. I mean, I was for all intents and purposes, I was down on my butt, but I, uh. <laughs> it kind of stood up and I slid way up to the bales and the fuzz and that fired me up. When I got back down on the groove, I made it my mission to catch him and pass him, and I did. Right on. Uh, Little confrontation. After the race, I was going to (laughs) say, there you go. After the race, he pulled. I I I pulled in my spot, took my helmet off, and I went down to him, waiting for him to pull in. And he pulled in. I straddled his bike with my my two legs on the front wheel. I I straddled his bike and took my hand and lift up his face shield. And Carol, he was dating Stacy Hall, Carol Hall's daughter at the time. And she was on the box truck right behind us. And she said, she was yelling at Chris, don't take off your helmet. (laughs) Don't take off your helmet. So I just kind of railed on, he was a rookie, but you know what? It it probably taught him a lesson. I don't think he ever had that issue again. And the, the other times that I raced against Chris, I never had an issue. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I was dying to hear that story the most out of any of the notes I'd written down. I was dying to hear that story because Chris Carr said it was a good one, and it definitely was. Um, 1988 was the last year you held a national number. Hank, how hard was it to hang up the steel shoe, and did you know it was time to move on? I, actually, at the end of 87 was my last race, but since I carried points, yeah, mm-hmm. they, I had the number all the way through uh, 88. But, yeah, I was ready. I had. Uh, Preparing the bikes from 1980, other than riding for Honda that little bit, preparing the bikes, building the engines all week, changing tires, loading them up, driving to the racetrack, it finally got to wearing on me and pretty much burned me out. And mm-hmm. Susan and I, we just had our, our, youngest, our youngest son, Chase, and he was born in 86. And I missed so much of my oldest son, Ryan, growing up. I, I wanted to be around more for him. so. I felt it was time. And, uh, you know, when you go to a race and you line up on the line, you, you got the mentality like, man, I got to get a good start and get up there. I didn't have that. I mean, I just said to myself, well, if I get a good start, I get a good start. If I don't, I'll work my way up. And you can't have that. You got to have the eye of the tiger and go in there and get after it. Now, I did have good finishes, but, you know, that little bit of edge you have, and for lack of a better word, that eye of a tiger, Mm-hmm. You got to have that. You got to have, you got to have the attitude and you got to have the drive. And I seen that waning in me a little bit. So I, I was ready. Gotcha. Yeah. When I moved to North Carolina down here and I started woods riding with a guy that a friend of mine that worked at Bobby Allison motorsports. And I went woods riding with him and really started picking up my, my timing and my everything. I was really clicking through the woods going fast. 
And I thought about giving Carl a call and jumping on one of his milers, but common sense took a hold of me and said, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was told that you, you kind of have one of the best memories in flat track. Like you, you remember every little detail and it sounds like we've gone race by race and you can remember it just like it happened yesterday. Is that part of what helped you go fast? I mean, it kind of, you remember things that, I mean, do you consider that as part of your keys to your success? You know, let's back up to when I became a junior. My very first race as a junior for Pace Yamaha in Tennessee, uh, when I, I got the call Thanksgiving from him to California, telling me he's got two new 750s, he's got a road racer. Do I want? And I said, I'm loading up my El Camino now. I'm headed that way. <laughs> so right my on. very first race on on the on a 750 was the Atlanta Mile. Oh wow! And I won wow. that over Randy yeah. over Randy Cleet. Wow. So, during that season as a junior, I raced so many different racetracks. And I also learned from being with Gary when I was a novice traveling on the East Coast with him, seeing how he prepped tires and, and everything that he did, it kind of rolled over into what I did in, in 73. And as a junior, I was the number one junior in the nation that year. I won 27 main events on all the tracks I rode. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, especially when Go you don't ahead. even win a race as a novice. <laughs> right. I was going to say, you kind of came out of nowhere and started winning, it sounds like. That's awesome. After yep. racing, uh, it kind of sounds like you got into uh, a lot of engine building, and you're credited with some more nationals. But as a tuner, uh, you, you built bikes for, for Steve Moorhead and others. Who taught you how to build the engines? Well, well, honestly, while a lot of guys were out partying and carrying on, I paid attention to what Shell Tewitt did. I mm -hmm. paid attention to what Carl Patrick did. And I paid attention to one of my great tutors, Jerry Branch. And Jerry taught me so much. I mean, he would take the time and work with me and explain things to me. And, and then Sal Acosta, I learned a little bit from Sal Acosta because I rode his bike uh, at Louisville, San Jose, and Sacramento and one on it. So I learned from several good mechanics. To me, all Hall of Famers, and Shell is, and Carl should be, that helped me pay attention to detail. And then when I got with Jerry, that really iced the cake. He taught me the finesse of building an engine. So, yeah, when I, when I got done racing, I did build the 42s bikes, and I think we won four nationals that year. And then, and then I did Doug Chandler's bike in 89, and we won the Ascot Half Mile with that. That's cool. That is so cool. I didn't I didn't realize you worked for Chandler also or, or or built those bikes. Was it was it more rewarding to win as a rider or as a tuner? No, it was it's always better to win as a rider. Yeah. When you <laughs> I, I tell you, when you Scotty, when you build your own bikes, like in eighty, I started building my own stuff when me and Sal split up, so I'd build my own stuff. And when you go to a national and you win a national with a bike that you built and you set up it's really rewarding. I mean, it's, it's, I beat the best that day with what I built in the garage during the week and how I rode Sunday. Oh, that's incredible. That, that, that has to be such a good feeling. That's, that's so cool. Um, do you follow the sport today? I do somewhat. Yeah. I, I, I don't follow it as much as I used to. I'm so busy here at, at the shop and stuff, but I get online and I check it out. Uh, and see the results and, and follow it and see who's doing what and watch the highlights. Okay. I, I know, I know before we got on the call, you said your, your kids went car racing instead of racing bikes. Um, are they still involved in racing right now? No, you, USAC racing is, is very, very expensive. I mean, for what I spent 
racing both of my boys in USAC, I could have given them a really good Class E <laughs> sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. When you go racing midgets and sprint cars, you got to have a buku pile of tires and motors, and and you then if you want to be competitive, you got to test the week before. So that involves more traveling. Oh, it, yeah. it was just expensive. So no, we don't race no more. Uh, both boys, uh, Ryan's, he's in his early forties now. So, I mean, he would like to race a dirt sprint car down here, a wing sprint car, but we just haven't pulled the trigger on that. We just, I think he really wants to get ahead in life and, and, and that's more important to him. Gotcha. You said just a few moments ago, you're, you're at the shop or are you still building engines or what kind of work are you doing now? The legend cars. Are you familiar with those? Absolutely. Well, we've built close to 7,000 motors for them now. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. I got down here in 92 on the, on the ground floor with, uh, and met with Humpy and Elliot Forbes Robinson and, and got my name started in that. And the rest is just kept on like it's like a locomotive. And, uh, we just, <laughs> we've done so many of them. I ship them all over the world. I ship in Australia, the UK, Ireland, Alaska. Wow. That's crazy. Who, who would have yeah. dreamt that, you know, back in the day that they'd be that popular. No, I wouldn't have never thought it. And I didn't even think that when I, when I came down here, moved down here, but when I moved down here, uh, I started putting engines in the cars and building headers for them and stuff. And, and then I started building engines for them and these are four cylinder inline four cylinders. So it was a little bit of a learning experience, but every motor that leaves here is dynoed. You get your dyno chart with it and we do it right. We try to be as professional as we can about it. Wow. That's awesome. It definitely goes to show you that there's, you know, there is, there's stuff after racing that, you know, life goes on after racing and, uh, man, this conversation reminds me of Mert Lawwell. He, he picked up and and started doing other things after racing too. And I just love that you found something that, that obviously there was a need for, uh, we wrap up our, our, our podcast with the question from my gram and that's, that's my grandma. And, uh, she loved watching you guys race. And I don't know if you know this or not, because I'm, I'm not sure if you listen, but I was actually named after your brother. Uh, my name is really? my real name, Scott. Yeah. Yep. So uh-huh. my real name's Scott and Gary was my dad's hero. My, my dad really liked how Gary presented himself, carried himself uh-huh. and how he was at the racetrack. So, and my mom didn't like the name Gary. So my name is Scott. So I just uh, wanted that's to tell cool. you that I thought that was, yeah, that's really cool. I, and I'm, I'm honored to, to at least have you on the podcast for sure. But, uh, Graham always has a question in, in every podcast and she goes to more races than I do. But, uh, she said the cool thing about Hank and his brother, Gary, is that you guys were very competitive. She saw that later in, uh, Ronnie and David Jones, you know, and now, now we have Briar and Bronson Bauman out there, but Graham wants to know if you wanted your brother Gary to succeed more than yourself, because she said she remembers reading articles in cycle news that always seemed to make it out that way. That, that I, that I encourage Gary to be better. Yeah. That you wanted, that you wanted, you know, Gary to win and be better. Uh, I don't know if that's, if that makes sense to you, but it seems no, like you were no. you're a big cheerleader. <laughs> if I wasn't, if I wasn't in the main event, something like, yeah, I'd help him and something, something like that. I rode Gary's bikes a couple times. I rode his, his factory Harley that Warner was tuning for him. I didn't have a bike for the race of champions in 75. And I went down to ask him, I said, 
you know, I got my leather. I said, can I ride? Scotty, I went out and won the main event. <laughs> wow. <laughs> haven't, been, haven't been in the Harley in, in, on, in two years. And I jump on the thing, go out and win the main event. <laughs> so Gary saw me win the main event, the regular main event. He took the bike back for the race to champion. So then I had to go bike hunting again. And I found a, Doug, Doug Sale had a bike I could ride. So I rode his bike and I let it for a while. Uh, Michael, number 72 kid, if he's listening or if he does listen, he remembers bumping me off the groove in turn three. But I wound up second. He won. So, But, you know, I, that was a good day, borrowing a bike, two bikes, and getting a first and a second. I was no, tickled. No kidding. That's incredible. I, I'm not sure if Mike Kidd listens or not, but uh, Mike's actually the, the reason I became uh, the, the the voice of American Flat Track Back in the day, he got me my spot, gave me my my opportunity. So me and Mike go a ways back too, probably not as far as back as you guys. But uh, we wrap up the thing, the the podcast with rapid fire questions. So first thing that comes to mind when I ask you these next few questions, Hank Scott, are you ready? Anytime. <laughs> Favorite bike you've ever ridden? Handling wise, Triumph. All right. Any particular a one? Track, Trackmaster Triumph, my TT bike. Okay, I love it. What's your favorite racetrack? Uh, anything that's fast and wide open. Probably my number one choice would have been the coin and then Indy. San Jose was very difficult because it always got slippery. So, But I did win there. I, I'm going to say the coin and maybe Indy. Okay. Who's your favorite flat tracker of all time? Do you have one? The one that I look up to the most, I would probably say Mert Lawwell. Nice. Love it. Who's your toughest competition? Who's your toughest competitor? In, in my prime, uh, I mean, in 80 and 81, I mean, I was on, I was on my game. I, I felt I could beat anybody. So I wasn't really intimidated by nobody. I, I felt like it, I could take it to them. Uh, a little later in my career racing against Ricky and Bubba and, and uh, Chris Carr and Scott Parker, those guys, all three was, was hammered down. And I realized I was getting up there in, in years a little bit and starting to wane a little bit. And, but backing up to the same thing of building your own motors and going to the racetrack and competing against them guys when they got mechanics building their stuff, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it just uh, is much different than what I race. Who is your favorite person to go bench racing with? Well, the guys I've raced against, um, I don't hardly ever see them anymore. I mean, I, every now and then I'll chat with Bubba online or something like that, but Probably out of all the racers and stuff, golly, there's just so many of them. We've got so many stories, Scotty. I mean, yeah. I got I got stories of each guy, but probably the the main guy that I really had a good time traveling with and and bench racing with and and shooting the bull with would be Carl Patrick. I really enjoyed riding for him in '77, '78, and '79. It was a good three years, and very much appreciative for that. And I really enjoyed his company. Awesome. What's the favorite thing you've ever heard from a race fan? Ah, uh, goodness. I get, a, I get a lot of people from, from 80 and 81 coming down from the stands and giving me a pat on the back for my testimony. And I don't really look at it for a pat on the back. It's part of what I do that's changed my life. So that's probably right. the number one thing. Is, is that when you had Team Jesus on the back of your leathers? Right around there. Well, that was, yeah, it was on my uh, front of my leathers. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. I had the logo up there. And like I said, if we back up to DeCoin, Jerry Landry, he's 
passed away and he was a great guy. He's the one that baptized me and actually led me to the Lord. So from 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, the rest of the, my career, uh, I, I wasn't bashful about telling people about the Lord and my conversion. Right on. Uh, last question we, we borrow from Dave Despain, actually, because it's so good. But what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Well, I never got number one, so I, I can't go there. I am, I'm, really, I'm really proud of the 100-mile-per-hour lap, Scotty, because, yes, it's been broken. But the fact is, I was the first, and that would never be taken away. Absolutely. That is so cool. So you're, that, you're down the history books forever. Yeah. That exactly. So, and, 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 and another one would probably be the coin in 83 on the Honda RS 750 getting Honda their first mile win. That would be second to the 100 mile per hour lap. Okay. Awesome. And last thing we do here is uh, we give the guests an opportunity to say, to say thanks to anybody. Do you, would you like to thank anyone? All the guys that I raced with. I really enjoyed it. Uh, some great racers. Some of them's no longer with us. Some great racing. Really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed the guys that uh, was part of my life traveling with me and uh, those who I raced for. I'm very thankful for uh, a career because a lot of people only wish they could do what I did. And I did it. And I'm very thankful for that. Awesome. Hank Scott, you're a legend. And again, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I enjoyed it, guys. Really enjoyed it. God bless. The only word I can ever think of when I talk to somebody like this is legend. But like, I feel like that is overused so much. Like, what? That one hell of an interview, dude. That I, I didn't know what to expect, but because I, I don't really know him. But damn, that was awesome. Yeah, you know, I I remember watching him as I was growing up. I don't remember ever talking to him because, believe it or not, everyone, I was a shy little kid that didn't want to go in the pits and talk to people, and I'd walk around and, and collect uh, uh, tear-offs from the side of the fence, and, and I wouldn't talk to anybody during during the or at the races or anything like that, believe it or not. But I did get to in- introduce him once at Charlotte Motor Speedway as the Grand Marshal. We had a quick little conversation. I interviewed him, and that was it. So it was really good to, to talk to him, and I just appreciate Hank taking the time to come on our, our little bitty podcast nah it's it's cool like before we even started we were like have you heard or listened to any he's like no my son does i was like well that's cool like and now he knows about it so he'll probably go back and listen to some of the other ones um what i love too is like when you're talking and explaining to somebody like what it is and they're like "Eh, i don't know what it is and and but they do it and after it seems like every time after we have the conversation with everybody it's like I loved it. I love going back down memory lane. Thank you. Like, they're thanking us. And we're just like, no, thank you for the time. But I don't know. Super cool, dude. Like, yeah, it's just like any, any rider we talk to now, they probably have 100 stories. But like somebody like Hank Scott, thousands of stories right. probably, right? right. And, and right. You, you never feel like you're doing it justice, really. I mean, you could talk to these guys for weeks and still not understand the depth. And I didn't even get into who all he was riding for. I mean, he mentioned Carl Patrick. He mentioned yeah. Shell Thewitt and, and some of the other big, big names, you know, and he yep. he made it in main events on like four different twin main, you know, engines and bikes and stuff like that, but we didn't even get to it. I was trying to focus just on him, not necessarily on who he was riding for and stuff like that. But yeah, there's a lot more questions I could have asked, but I wanted to get his story on, you know, a lot of his success and, and, and why he was so dang fast on the miles. I mean, to, to be the first guy ever to average over hundred miles an hour on a 750 on dirt. Yeah. 
that's in the books. He'll never ever. There's only one first, yep. and that's that's Hank Scott. No, it's super cool. Yeah, just the whole thing, and then like you said, like his his progression even after racing right he found success in other avenues like to, to the fact that you compared him to mert lawwell and his conversation and then to him to say that that's like his his favorite flat tracker ever that was just too cool um i don't know man I, right i dig these for sure and it's always the ones that i'm like i don't know like is this gonna be because i don't i didn't know going into it and those always seem to be the home runs so like another home run dude like you did your homework asked great questions and he was great great at talking about you know his history uh, in the sport so that was cool to hear for sure super sharp you know he remembered every little race from like the early 70s and that's that's when i was born but he remembers them like like they were yesterday or like they were last year you know it's incredible uh the memory he has i was i was blown away just want to say thanks again to hank for taking the time to come on our podcast absolutely man well that's another one in the can 164 we're done what are you uh what are you getting into this weekend absolutely nothing i think we're talking about putting a new fence up between my neighbor's house and and uh our house yeah. i guess you know during the ice storm some of the branches fell on it i might help her out with that uh i don't know uh hopefully she'll get somebody smarter than me to do it but i'll be here to help out but uh man no plans just uh, taking it easy for a little while i'm trying to convince myself not to go to the panhandle clash because i just need a day or two to to kind of take a breather but there's some racing going on in, in Pensacola this weekend, it, Robbie Bobby. It's, it's like like three days, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think it starts the guys tonight. Were there actually. on Thursday. Yeah, it starts tonight or yeah. it starts started yesterday or something. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he always puts on a good show. There's supposed to be some really solid riders going there to to whip it around that track. So I'm sure there'll be some cool. Uh, I don't know if they're doing live streaming. They usually do some sort of live streaming, even if it is like Robbie Bobby throwing up a live on his on his page or whatever. But Right. Um, right. Always good to kind of see uh, what they have going on, you know, leading into the season, r- wrapping down an old season. So it's always good to see flat tracking when there's no uh, nationals going on. Um, get to see people out there, you know, spinning laps on new bikes or testing new stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that next week with uh, with what we took away from the tire test. But, uh, but yeah, man, unless you got anything else, we can call this we can call this one done, son. <laughs> Sounds good, man. <laughs> uh, keep her keep her on four wheels because you're not riding motorcycles yet. Not Everybody's yet. Keep it on two wheels, man. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners. Tell all of your friends. Thanks to our patrons who uh, are back with us again for another month. We appreciate each and every one of you. Every single one. If you one. want to be a patron, uh, it's easy to do. There's a, a way to do that. Just uh, check it out on our Facebook page. And uh, Carter walks you through how to become a patron on Patreon. And again, thanks to all of our listeners. Tell your friends. Smash that like button. Leave us a comment. Leave some feedback on wherever you find your podcast. And we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Thanks. Peace. Later.
how cool is that dude <laughs> i didn't know what he was gonna say and i didn't oh, want to like awesome. put him on the spot but like hank hank scott just called just to thank us and said we're in the running for his favorite bench racing partners is that real that cool. really just happened <laughs> and we're that on... just happened carter dude and we're live i mean that's the best way to end this i don't <laughs> how do you, know how do, you, how do you top that you don't yeah, how do you, top that? you don't